thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on KateSidePress.com. I'm Danny Gubby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC heads to Madison Square Garden this weekend for UFC 295 in New York City. We'll, of course, be breaking down the two title fights at the top of this card, as well as some of the other action. And we'll give you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. And as always, we're giving you guys the interviews you know and love. Kicking off the show this week is John Castaneda, who is fighting Kyung Ho Kang this weekend. And a little bit later on, we will be talking to Joshua Van, who makes his second fight in the octagon as well. Now, before we get to any of that great content for you, I do have to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Game Up Heart Hydration. Welcome to the game. Welcome to Game Up Heart Hydration, the new ready-to-drink beverage with sports drink flavor for adult drink fun. But make no mistake, this is no sports drink. This is a refreshing adult beverage with 4.9% alcohol by volume, a special blend of electrolytes, and way more than a hint of flavor. It's a drink that's well. It's really drinkable. Should you stretch before you drink it? Well, it certainly couldn't hurt. Because Game Up is not a hard seltzer. Hard seltzers just didn't work out. Game Up plays entirely in a league of its own, and it comes in all your favorite sports drink flavors, orange, lemon, lime, fruit, punch, and grape, and it hits all the right numbers at 110 calories, 1 gram of carbs. It's gluten-free, and it's got no added sugar. Game Up is for MMA maulers, urban fitness freaks, peak bagging badasses, tough mother mothers, beer league brawlers, hot yoga hotties, high handicap hackers, committed cornhole huckers, or even just professional poolside posers who game up and get after it. Ask for Game Up wherever it is you buy beer or hard seltzer and bring it on home for the team. Game Up brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is John Castaneda, who fights Young Ho Kang at UFC 296. That fight is in Madison Square Garden on November 11th. So, John, we're officially in fight week. I know you're not all the way out in New York City yet, but, you know, you're, you're kind of in the thick of things now. How are we feeling? How's the weight at? What, what's all that kind of good stuff going on? Yes, yes, sir. Uh, yeah, just, uh, what is it, six days, right? Six days away from fight night, five away from weigh-ins. Uh, everything's going well. Uh, weight's good right where it should be for about five days out from weigh-ins. You know, camp was amazing. Uh, I implemented a boxing coach this time around. So just looking to kind of, um, you know, fill, fill some, fill some holes of mine that, that I've maybe noticed in myself in previous camps and in previous fights. So we're, we're, we're ready. We're at a hundred percent and we're ready to put on a show here at uh, next weekend. So obviously I don't want you to give away all the secrets of your fight camp now, because you know, you said you put in some good work here and and who knows who's listening, but do, do you mind sharing with us a little bit about where you thought you saw holes in, in your boxing? Uh, it's more more so necessarily just in, in my punch volume is where I personally saw the holes. Uh, so, you know, I just I, I always feel like I could I could be more um, more diligent with just like my volume and my punch count and stuff like that. And so that's really where I worked. I, I this whole camp, obviously, you know, I've, I've, I worked everything else that I normally do, but I implemented a boxing coach and I, I see the results within, you know, within a couple of months of working with them, I saw drastic results. So just kind of expect a lot more, a lot more uh, punch volume and, and a higher punch volume for me this fight. 
Interesting, interesting. Now, I, I did want to take you back to your last fight, too, because it was a nice bounce-back fight, right? Like, you pick up the decision win over Mew and Gafaroth, you know, get yourself back in the win column. But also, you, you did so in a decision, and it's the first time you've ever won by decision in the UFC. It's the first time you won by decision in, I think if I calculated it out right, about six years. So, I, I'm, I'm curious, after all of that, and, you know, now knowing that you, you wanted more volume out of yourself... Did you feel good about having gone 15 hard minutes and looking good doing so? Did you feel bad because you didn't get the finish somewhere in between? No, you know what? Um, so I was actually really, really content with that fight. Uh, the reason being is because with the amount of pressure I was I was having from Muin Grafarov, he was he was coming at me with 100% power strikes the entire fight. I don't know if you remember the fight, but it was every single strike was was a power strike. I was I had to be very very cautious of his striking and his power strikes, which kind of made me a little gun shy and, and a little bit more hesitant in the boxing area. So um, to be able to outgrind a wrestler and out wrestle him as well um, was kind of important for me and uh, kind of just solidified that my, my grappling and my wrestling is, you know, uh, really high level as well. You know, he's a, he's a multiple time Samba world champ. So, and he was you know unable to take me down. So for me, that was a win in my books, regardless of how it was, whether it was a, you know, a decision win or even, you know, I had him rocked early in the first round. Um, could have been a TKO, but yeah, either way, you know, win's a win and we're just looking to bounce back and improve on, on, uh, on areas where I feel like we could improve on. And, and so out of curiosity, you mentioned, you know, that he was coming at you, tons of punches, tons of pressure, all that kind of stuff for the entirety of the fight. Is, is that sort of what led you to, to saying, you know, that you needed more volume in your boxing stuff that would back him off of you a little bit? Yeah, that, Absolutely. That. And just like in previous fights, I feel, um, I, you know, I, I, I'm very analytical of my own fights as well, as much as I am about my opponents, right. I can, I can sit there and watch film. I love watching film on my opponents and kind of dissecting their game, but I, I do the same for myself as well, you know? So I'll sit there and I'll, I'll watch my own game and I say, man, like, why am I not, you know, why am I not being more offensive right here? Why am I not, you know, doing this, doing that? So, you know, I was able to do that and I've watched my most, uh, couple most recent fights and, that's that's what I kind of came up with. I came up with, you know, I just need to be a little bit more uh, more offensive when I when I need to turn it on. I need to turn it on. So that's what we did, and that's what we we got to work on. Well, that's awesome to hear. Now, you know, you, you mentioned the last few fights. At this point in time in the UFC, you've sort of found your groove. You're three out of your last four. A big win here over Kyung Hong Kang makes you four out of your last five fights here in a very stacked bantamweight division. It, it sounds like it's almost time for John Castaneda to start talking about top 15 guys, start calling those people out. Is that something that you keep an eye on? I know some people say they don't like to think about the rankings and they put it behind them, but are you somebody who's watching that kind of thing and keeping your eye on who should be next for you? Absolutely. You know, and especially like the top, you know, um, obviously when someone's kind of working their way up, right, they, they, they don't target the top five, the top 10. They're, they're looking to break the entry. They're looking to break the, the, the rankings, you know, so they're looking at the numbers 10 through 15. And for me, I've been looking at a lot of those guys, the 10 through 15 guys. And in my opinion, a lot of those guys are very, very much beatable. Um, you know, so I, I'm not going to say names, but yes, to, to answer your question kind of uh, vaguely, I, I absolutely have been looking at top 15 fighters and, and uh, telling myself like, Hey, yeah, big win here is, is important for sure. Let's start there. And then after that, we'll get into the conversation of, you know, trying to, trying to line up a fight with a top 15 opponent. And so again, you, you said you didn't want to say names, so I'm not going to try to pull names out of you here, but what, what particularly about the bottom of that division or the bottom of the top 15, rather not the bottom of the division, but the bottom of the top 15 at Bantamweight 
feels beatable? Is it that you just feel like, you know, their skill set doesn't match up to yours in general? Do you feel like there's a wrestling deficit at the bottom of that division? What what sort of makes you feel like, you know, the bottom of Bantamweight is, is ready to be picked apart? Well, they're obviously, they're all, all five of those fighters, you know, are, are, are different fighters. And some of them are obviously stronger grapplers than not. Some of them are are a little bit more grittier than others. And some of them are, you know, not as efficient strikers striking as others. So uh, I just like to compare myself to those guys, just because that's, you know, like I said, obviously I got business to take care of the next weekend, but then after that, you know, those, those are the guys in the conversation. And so I'm, I'm dissecting all of them. I don't think all of them as a whole have any specific weaknesses. Whereas I could say, Oh yeah, they all, you know, these bottom five guys in the top 15 are, are all, not good, not great wrestlers. I, I don't think that at all. You know, I think it's more so like individual, you know? So, uh, for instance, I could pinpoint one specific fighter and think like to myself, Oh yes, my wrestling would absolutely, you know, absolutely demolish this guy. And I think that I could absolutely control 15 minutes of fight with just my wrestling. And then maybe another guy would be, Oh wow, this guy right here. See, he's, he can't take a punch. Like he's, he gets stunned a lot. You know, I think I could actually get in his face and get greedy with the fight. You know, I, I think like that, you know, not as a whole, but more so individually. I dig it. I dig it. Now you mentioned the bottom of the top 15, but it's an interesting time in the world of Bantamweight right now because the top of the division is in flux. So before we get to talking about your fight this weekend with Kyung Ho Kang, I did want to get your thoughts on what's going on at the top of Bantamweight. You know, you got Sean O'Malley who recently became champion. You got you know, Aljamain Sterling, who's kind of chomping at the bit for a rematch, Mirab Tabalashvili, Cheeto Vera. What do you think should be next towards the top of that division? And who do you think maybe poses the biggest threat for for the champ? Yeah, so, I mean, the champ's doing it well. He's doing it right, right? He's uh, he's the champ. He's got a little bit of a pull, right? He's You know, he's a superstar in the making, if not already a superstar. So he's got a little bit of pull in who he's fighting next. In my opinion, Cheeto Vera, you know, he's already – if you go back and look at that fight, you know, it was a, it was a good fight. It was a good performance. Um, you know, obviously it wasn't like there was some sort of like controversial uh, injury going on there, but I think Chico Vera has the skills to to upset Sean O'Malley. Now I think Sean O'Malley also has a very, very good chance at beating Chito Vera, you know, whereas Chito Vera isn't really the top contender right now. You know, we got guys like Murad, we got guys like Cejudo, we got guys like Corey Sanhagen. Those guys are the ones that come to my mind and when it when it comes to, you know, next title shots and who who's deserving of it. But like I said, Sean O'Malley he, he's picking his shots and, and the UFC is behind him and and you know they're they're trying to they're trying to hold on to his you know hold on to the superstar for a little bit. So right now we got Chito Vera. We'll see how that one plays out and then after that, you know, I think he he really can't avoid these guys like uh like Corey Sanhagen and Marab, so. Yeah, that that is certainly a very interesting time. But there's also an interesting time this weekend, and that's John Castaneda versus Kyung Ho Kang. So let's talk about this fight. You know, you mentioned running into guys who like to wrestle and being able to stuff Muin Gafaros wrestling attempts was a big, you know, confidence boost for you. Kyung Ho Kang is a guy who's used a lot of his wrestling and his size and his time in Bantamweight what do you sort of think of his abilities in the wrestling realm and, and how they compare to you? Oh man. So I guess <clears throat> Kang is, Kang has used his wrestling on non wrestlers. You know, if you, if you watch a lot of his fights and who he's really, who he's really like uh, taken down and dominated on the ground, it's against guys with absolute zero, zero wrestling credentials and zero wrestling uh, in their, in their arsenal, you know? And, and if you, if you just take a look back at like, even his most like, I don't know, one of his most recent losses against like Ronnie Yaya, 
Ronnie Yaya is a very, very, very good grappler, but I would be lying through my teeth if I said he has high-level wrestling. And Ronnie Yaya was able to take down uh, Kang three or four times throughout that fight. Um, so in my opinion, yeah, Kang has, has used his size and has used his wrestling uh, to take down people, but nobody, he hasn't really taken down and, and dominated any, any good wrestlers or dominated any decent wrestlers. I think himself, he himself is, is a, you know, a below average wrestler. So um, especially, you know, he's got a little bit of height on me uh, he, and just for the division itself. And I don't know if you've ever wrestled or, or anything, but the shorter guy has a little bit of advantage on, uh, you know, uh, in the wrestling department. So I know obviously, there, there, there's perks for, for taller guys in the division. You know, he's got a reach on me. He's tall. He's lanky. He's a good, clean, long boxer. But when it comes to the actual wrestling category, he's got to change levels so much more than I do for actual takedown and for wrestling. So, you know, I, to, for, for me to sit here and, and think to myself that he's going to be, he's going to get me in trouble with wrestling would be absolutely like, it's just something that hasn't crossed my mind at all. I dig it. I dig it. So that pretty much leads me right to where I like for that uh, final question, which is, do you got a prediction? How's this one end in Madison Square Garden come November 11th? Yeah, look for look for a patient, John Castaneda. I'm going to hurt him on the feet, and, you know, I could either knock him down, knock him out, or I could TKO him. But it's going to be a finish within within two. All right. Well, you're here to hear first, folks. This has been John Castaneda, who fights Young Ho Kang at UFC 295. That fight is in Madison Square Garden on November 11th. John, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with John Castaneda. I once again am Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we are going to get right into our favorite segment of the show, or at least tied for our favorite segment. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, which of course is brought to you by X Marshall. If you want to pick up some of the best gear in martial arts, you're going to have to check out X Marshall. From rash guards to shorts, streetwear to training equipment, they have got you covered. X Marshall is one of the fastest growing brands and they're out there for a reason. The quality of their product is second to none. They're taking style to the next level and they really do have a design for every taste and personality. So go check them out at xmarshall.com and use discount code TURTLE, T-U-R-T-L-E, for 10% off everything in the store. So now, welcome in our co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, how are you feeling about this UFC 295 card? You know, with the injuries and late second replacements, obviously losing John Jones is never a good thing for a fight card. But I wasn't really that interested in seeing John Jones murk Stipe with, you know, two feet out the door as a fireman. So it sucks to lose John Jones, but I'm not so upset to lose that particular fight. Uh, so it kind of just an, is what it is, and I'm excited because it's a very good card nonetheless. Yeah, I actually think the card that that came together after that wound up being better for me anyway. Like Tom Espinall versus Sergey Pavlovich, infinitely more interesting and more interesting for like the next five to ten years in the heavyweight division. Whereas, like you said, John Jones one foot out the door, Stipe two feet out the door. These are the future fighters of this division for the next, you know, ten years. So I, I'm excited for it. Well, let's get right into it then. Uh, let's start breaking it down. We'll start, we'll pause on Aspinall Pavlovich, which I, I too am very excited about. And I'm probably equally as excited for this light heavyweight title fight, which is Alex Pereira, minus 125, to Yuri Prozhashka, a plus 105. Very tight odds here. Pereira coming up in weight after losing his middleweight title. Uh, I love the storyliner. Pereira, of course, with Glover Teixeira. 
jury for all purposes, really retired. Glover Teixeira, I understand he fought again after the jury fight. That was a war. Uh, that was back in June of 2022. So we haven't seen jury because he, of course, got injured, had to vacate the title. There was a whole title sequence after it that it's best just to forget about it. Let's just pretend that Jerry's been the champ this whole time, more or less. Uh, but, you know, it's a great storyline with Pereira trying to defend the honor, so to speak, of his teammate in Glover. Uh, so, again, Jerry, a minus 105, or excuse me, a plus 105 after not fighting in a year and a half. Pereira coming up in weight. A minus 125. I'm actually going to go with Yuri Prohashka. I've been back and forth like seven times on this fight, but ultimately I think what comes down to for me is I think Yuri is going to be there for Alex Pajeda to hit. He's wild. He's crazy. He likes to get in wars where he gets tagged, right? Like it's not like Glover Teixeira didn't hit him. But at the end of the day, he also creates a ton of angles that are unconventional in uncommon for like even the very best kickboxers, even for the very best guys he's fought over in Japan and, and here in the UFC, he's unconventional and weird. And he catches people because of that. I think Pajeda is fighting people who are a little bit more traditional, who are a little bit more, you know, not that Izzy Adesanya is easy to predict, but he does kickboxing things the right way. Yuri Prohashka does not do those things. He's less predictable. I think that plays a big factor here. I'm also going to say this, Yuri Prohashka subbed Glover Teixeira. Granted, after tagging him, after exhausting him, and all those types of things, but he's incredibly durable to have dealt with the grappling of Glover Teixeira for that long, and then to have gone to his grappling at the end. Makes me think that Yuri might actually have a grappling advantage in this fight. So I'm going to say, I think the unconventionalness of him throws off Pajeda, and the fact that I, he might have a little bit of a grappling advantage. So I'm going to go with Yuri, but this fight is as close as the odds suggest. It's a really close fight, and I hate to take a cop-out answer here, but I kind of need to see it play out. And then when they inevitably have to rematch after what's probably going to be a banger of a fight, I will give you a more uh, strong pick. But there are just so many unknowns here. I mean, I'll tell you what I feel better about if I could go for the big unknown. So unknown, Pajeda not having to cut weight, coming up uh, to 205, but is he that big a 205-er? I always think of him as kind of long and lean. Yuri, to me, is a thicker boy, as they say. I think he's a true 205-er. So to me, and I could be wrong here, like they might face off this again, and I'm going to be like, oh, my God, Bayet is a huge man, because I know he is. But I find Yuri probably the stronger of the two. Uh, Pajeda is still the better striker, but I just haven't seen him at 205 yet. So that's an unknown to me. Another unknown is the fact that Jerry had this injury that Dana White, being the drama queen that he was, basically said it was like the worst injury MRI they've ever read. I think that was all hyperbolic, but it has been a year and a half since he fought. So I don't know what that's going to look like from a ring rust standpoint. I feel better about Jerry ring rust than I do about Pajeda fighting at the new weight class my gut leans jury, but for some reason, because I am just so enamored and respectful of what Pajeda brings to the striking game, I, I actually think I probably put money on Pajeda because the odds aren't crazy. You know, minus a buck 25 is not bad for a guy who's arguably probably, you know, one of the top two, three strikers in all of the UFC. But I do like what you brought up, which is jury could outmuscle him 
and definitely holds the grappling advantage. Yeah, I think cardio is going to be an interesting one, too, because typically I would say Yuri, right? Like, Yuri has got, you know, wild five-round fights in him where he's looked, I'm not going to say as fresh of a daisy in the fifth round, but fresh in the fifth round, fresher than Glover looked. And also, but the, what does the time off do to that? What does the shoulder injury do to that? We, we've got questions also about, you know, Alex Pajeda's chin. He got, you know, he did stand up to the three rounds of Jan Blachowicz, but he did also go night-night at the time before that, right? He got knocked out by a middleweight. Coming up in weight, might that be a little bit better? Sure, but there is so many weird unknowns in this fight, and that's what just makes it a banger of a main event. You know, I got to bring that up. I was recently up way too early uh, in the morning, and uh, I was I caught just a random episode of like UFC Reloaded or whatever that show is. And there have been so many title fights recently, especially with the interim titles. I had completely forgotten how Stipe uh, Cormier Part Two went. If you'd put a gun to my head, I would have thought that like Stipe got him out of there in the second round. No, it was the fourth round. Okay, whatever. But the commentators were bringing up that during Stipe Cormier one, it was a few months after Stipe had defended against Francis Ngannou. And there was some thought that maybe his chin was a little weakened because he took so many shots from Francis, ultimately not knocked out, but that maybe he just had a bit of a weak chin syndrome going into that fight with Cormier because the fights were so close. I think that's a great point. Pajeda just got knocked out and in brutal fashion, really from Izzy, and now here he is fighting Jury, that is something to watch. And I'll give you something else, something. I'll give everyone something else to watch. That's Tom Aspinall, a minus 115 favorite, to Sergi Pavlovich, a minus 105. Again, really tight odds for the vacant UC heavyweight title. Aspinall coming off a win over Marcin Tabura via TKO. He looked great up until his loss via TKO, albeit a knee injury to Curtis Blades, that was back in July of 2022, came back a year later, beat Tybura, that was back in July of this year, so turns around about four or five months later, and he's going to fight Pavlovich, who looks all but amazing in the UFC, debuted on a loss to Alistair Overeem back in 2018, has reeled off six wins in a row, all by KO, TKO, the man is a finishing machine, he's a minus 105, Aspinall a minus 115, who you got? I'm actually going to go with David Aspinall in this one. Uh, and the reason why is, you know, if you look at that list of people who Pavlovich beat in that fight, you know, you've got Marcelo Gohm, Maurice Green, Shamil Abdurkimov. Then he starts beating some actual big dudes, and that's Derek Lewis and Ty Tuivasa. And you might look at all those fights and be like, okay, but who's he fought who can wrestle him, right? Of those five people, is the best wrestler in there maybe Marcelo Gohm, who has since made his way to Bellator? Probably. Then, of course, we get the Curtis Blades fight, where we're like, okay, Curtis Blades is actually going to test this guy's wrestling. I picked Curtis Blades for that reason. I think there might be a hole in Sergei Pavlovich's wrestling that we're not sure of, or we haven't seen enough of, because of what we saw against Alistair Overeem. Overeem caught one of his kicks, put him on his ass, and made him look like he had no idea how to get up. And that's an aged Overeem. That's 2018 Overeem. That is not an Overeem who's still in his prime. But that Overeem still bounced his head off the canvas like it was a basketball and kept him on the ground in his place. So I thought Blades was going to be the one to test that. That's why I picked Blades in that fight. Blades, for some reason, thinks he's a boxer in that fight, doesn't attempt to take down until he's woozy, which is just like one of the wildest game plans of all time. That being said... I think Aspinall has an interesting mix of being both a dangerous boxer with crazy knockout power that Pavlovich is going to have to respect because he could put him out 
and also having that wrestling advantage. This is a guy who immediately took down uh, Andre Arlovsky, took his back and choked him out in like 30 seconds of a round. He took down Alexander Volkov and ripped that dude's arm off and made it so that Volkov couldn't work back to his feet. Now, I think Pavlovich is a much better fighter than those two. He's a much stronger fighter than those two. But if we're talking about a piece of a game, a question mark, you know, we talked about in that last fight. We don't feel safe making any kind of pick in that last fight because there's 82 question marks around things. This one has fewer question marks. We have Tom Espinal we know is good on the ground. We know is good on the feet. We know is now much, much more stable in terms of his knee. We know he can put on a longer performance and a shorter performance. We know all of those things about Pavlovich with the exception of his grappling. It's a big question mark. It's looked bad at some point in time. And that is why I feel better about Tom Aspinall here is that I just think there's less questions about what he's able to do and what he is able to do. And we do have, don't have questions about is at least equal to Pavlovich. Yeah, I'm actually going Pavlovich here. I like everything you laid out. I, of course, like the wrestling advantage. I've just been so impressed by Pavlovich. I think he's going to fight a very constrained, conservative fight. You never know with heavyweight, so I'm just going with my gut feeling. I think Pavlovich is the better fighter. I, you know, I might eat my words this weekend. I'm going Pavlovich. Let's move on. Uh, Mackenzie Dern is a... Minus 200 favorite to Jessica Andrade, a plus 165 dog. Andrade, the former um, uh, strawweight champion, is on a three-fight losing streak. She doesn't want to make it, take it to four, but she's coming in as a dog here. Dern is coming off a win to Angela Hill. Who you got? I'm going to go with Mackenzie Dern, and if you had told me a year ago I was going to pick Mackenzie Dern to beat Jessica Andrade, I probably would have laughed at you. Um, because, you know, while I like Mackenzie Dern and I like her grappling – Jessica Andrade has been a little powerhouse her whole career, but now we have this run of fights that she's been in. And first of all, I think it's terrible that she's taking a fifth fight this year. This will be her fifth fight in the calendar year. She's one in three and she's getting back in there again. And my biggest problem about her getting back in there again is the style that's beating her. You know, with the exception of being knocked out cold by Yan Xiaonan, which first of all, shocking to me, Yan Xiaonan not thought of as a powerful figure, but... Before that, she had lost to Aaron Blanchfield and just got absolutely dominated in the grappling. Follow that up with a absolutely dominated in the grappling performance against Tatiana Suarez. Now, Mackenzie Dern is not a wrestler like those two are, but her jujitsu is equally as sick as both of those two. It's equally as dangerous as both those two. In fact, it might be more dangerous than both of those two in terms of pure jujitsu. I think she just needs to get Andrade down once. I think we're going to see a game plan that will cause Andrade to break, being that that's how she's lost two out of her last three fights. Um, and so I'm going to go with Mackenzie Dern here. All right, let's finish up on this. What is our dog of the week? What is our parlay to play this? All week? right, I'm going to go for a dog of the week. I'm going to go Slava Claus, uh, Slava Bolshev over Nazim Sadikov. Look, I, I really do like Nazim Sadikov. I know this is a hometown fight for him. But the fact of the matter is, is Slava betting off at plus 125 is a steal. Because the fact of the matter is, this is a guy who has only lost to people who can outgrapple him. Sadikov has a little bit of grappling, but he showed on Contender Series that he has a tough time finishing some of those takedowns. He winds up pushed against the cage for a lot of them. And I think Slava's a better and a more dangerous striker than Sadikov is. Sadikov was getting beat up on the feet by Evan Elder, and I think that Slava is actually a little bit sharper of a striker than Evan Elder. So I'm going to go with Slava here as our dog. 
And for our parlay, I'm going to pair Benoit Saint-Denis at negative 205 with John Castaneda, friend of the show, negative 150. That's going to come together for plus 148. Look, Benoit Saint-Denis is fighting Matt Frivola. He absolutely steamrolled Ishmael Bonfim last time. The dude has got incredible wrestling. And while you have to respect Matt Frivola's hands, I just don't think he's going to spend much time on his feet. I think he's going to be on his back and with a rear naked choke in him really quick in this fight. And John Castaneda is fighting Jung Ho Kang. Jung Ho Kang is a guy who has relied on his wrestling a lot. And as John Castaneda said in the interview, he's a guy who's relied a lot on his wrestling by being just the massive dude in the fight. He's huge for his division. But that in that case, he is not actually a better wrestler than John Castaneda, who trains up in Minnesota with Brock Lesnar's old fight team and like all of the great wrestling coaches up there. His wrestling is nasty and his jujitsu is nasty when he gets there. So give me Castaneda and St. Denis and give me plus 148. Boom. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Let us know on the social media at Top Turtle MMA and all the normal spots. How we did. Gumby, we're having a party here. Let's not let it stop. What should we do next? We're going to transition now to my interview with Joshua Van, who is making his second fight in the Octagon this weekend at UFC 295 in Madison Square Garden. And we're going to get to that interview for you right now. All right, and joining me today is Joshua Van, who fights Kevin Boreas at UFC 295 in Madison Square Garden on November 11th. So, Joshua, I wanted to start here. You know, you're, you're obviously fighting in Madison Square Garden in a couple of short weeks. The thing I want to talk about is your amateur debut was about three years ago, a little less than three years ago, actually. Has it dawned on you what a crazy ride that is in that amount of time? Uh, yes, sir, it definitely is, man. Uh, I made it. You know, I do it uh, fast track. So, yeah, uh, that was great, man. And, and so for you, you know, three years ago when you decided to be an amateur fighter, you decided to take your first fight. Did it, Was this the dream all along at 19 years old or 18 years old? Did you want to be, you know, in the UFC as a professional fighter? And how long have you wanted to be a fighter? Uh, I was always a street fighter. You know, I always fight in the street. And uh, when I was 16 or 17, you know, one of my friends uh, introduced me to MMA. And, um, you know, watching Conor McGregor, that's uh, when he fought May, uh, Floyd Mayweather, that's that's when I, I know what MMA was, you know. I know what boxing is, but I never know what MMA was. And uh, I wanted to join, and I went to the gym, and ever since I start uh, my my first amateur, amateur bout, I always want to be a UFC fighter. So, yeah, that was, yes, sir. That's awesome. Now, I, I got to ask, too, because I've heard this from a lot of different fighters that they come from a background where they, you know, had a tough youth and fought a bunch in the streets. For you, was it, you know, was it, you know, just that you were running around in crowds that in, involved fighting a lot? Was it, you know, I know some people set up fights because they enjoyed fighting so much in parking lots and stuff. What, what did it look like for you back then? Man, uh, you know, I got to the United States when I was 12 and uh, I didn't know how to speak English and stuff like that. And I was, you know, I was a small kid. So uh, what ended up happening was, you know, going to school, I got picked on and stuff like that. And I had to defend myself, you know, and I keep on fighting, you know, uh, and when you fight in school, like people know like, Oh, this kid got him and stuff like that. So it, it got to the point where I enjoy fighting because that's the only way I can get it, uh, people attention, you know, and 
you know what I'm saying? So um, Street Fight has always been, like, uh, with me, you know, like, uh, I'll i go to YouTube and search up, like, how to win a street fight, and then the next day I'll do the same exact thing I see on um, YouTube and stuff like that. So, yeah, uh, that's how I start, man. So you were basically incorporating the ideals of, of MMA all the way back to when you were, like, 12 or 13. You were picking up different things. Was that just, like you know, different striking techniques or were you, were you mixing in the grappling too when it, when it came to street fighting? Uh, no, never, never grappling, but, uh, like, you know, if I see somebody go southpaw, like I'm a, I'm a right-handed, but like I'll go to somebody and I was like, okay, I want to fight him and let me try my, you know, my, my left side type shit. Like I'll try some, some new stuff like that, you know, even in the street fight. So I think that's what, you know, uh, that's why, like, MMA for me is a little easier for me because of, like, the, those street fight experience and stuff like that. That's interesting. So you you were already, you know, like, sort of trying to experiment and stuff like that, which I imagine made starting at a gym easier. But I, I got the question, you know, obviously you started with MMA, not with boxing. You you wound up having to use that ground game and that grappling did it come easy to you or was it like, you know, striking is clearly what I love and like, I have to do this other thing too. Uh, yeah. Uh, I used to hate, uh, jujitsu and wrestling so much. Uh, you know, like, uh, when I first started gym, um, I, I asked my coach, I was like, Hey, I want to, I want to fight MMA, but do I have to do jujitsu type shit, you know? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the thing is, the fight that I lost made me realize that, you know, you, you, you got to be well-rounded. You can't just be focusing on striking and, you know, expect other people to, like, you know, um, respect your game. You got to be well-rounded. So uh, that's the fight that made me realize I have to be good at everything, you know. I love it. I love it. Now, let, let's talk about your trip to the UFC now because, you know, we got the origin story in a little bit. But I want to talk about... You know, this this crazy path you had to the UFC, because you get an invite to be on Contender Series. For a lot of people, that's already a dream, right? It, that's that's what we're looking for. It's one step away from the UFC. You go through a training camp. You've prepared entirely for this opponent. And with about a week to go, they're like, just kidding. Go fight directly in the UFC. What, what did that feel like for you to, like, suddenly be, you know, like, first of all, reach your goal, but also, like, be kind of stripped from the thing you had been preparing for. Uh, I was, I was very happy. I was very happy. Like it, it made me throw up and stuff like that, you know, to the point, like I got butterflies in my, my stomach and stuff like that. But, uh, it took me a second to realize, uh, like, I was like Oh, this is what I've been wanting. You know, I always knew it was going to come like the, the call. So, um, you know, my manager, and I'd be asking, I'd be asking him for a short notice too, you know, if anything come up, let me know type shit. So like, I wasn't like, uh, very, very shocked, you know, um, like I know it's a short notice, but like, I'm like, okay, I'll get ready in, uh, three days type shit, you know? Uh, so they gave me a week. So that was perfect, man. Well, that's awesome. Now I, I got to ask too, you know, like you said, you got a week in there. You were supposed to fight Kevin Borges, who who we're going to talk about in a second, who, you know, likes to stick and move, likes to strike and stuff like that. Change of game plans. You get Shaga Shumagulov, a guy who's very differently shaped, fights a very different style game. 
was it sort of wild? Did you have to go into a different mode of game planning in that seven days? Uh, uh, like I said, like uh, me, I don't train for specific opponent. I train to be the best me, you know. So uh, it wasn't like we didn't we didn't really change anything, you know, except like uh, we was uh, we was more focusing on ground. That's about it. Like other than that, we don't change we don't change nothing. I dig that. I dig that. So then, you know, obviously you pick up the win. It's a it's a decision. So you got to wait for that that scorecard to come out and all that. How how nervous were you when they were when they were reading it? And wh- what did it feel like afterwards to do that on seven days notice? Oh, uh, man, uh, I wasn't nervous. Like I knew I won, but I was surprised. Like they gave him um, they gave him on the scorecard. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, I, I think everybody was surprised that they gave him any of the scorecards, to be fair. Now, you, you, you pick up that great win over Shoggins, and of course, the Contender Series then is, is there, the, the episode that you are going to be on. Did you watch it? Did you, did you, you know, did you sort of have it circled, like, this is where I was going to be? Did you, did you pay attention to it at all? Um. I, I was I was planning on watching, but I was at the gym at that time. You know, I was training, and I was like, "Okay, I gotta watch." And by that time, I think it got to like the third fight or something, and I didn't get to watch. But uh, uh, I did watch it like when when they rescheduled it uh, for me to fight him. That's that's when I see his fight. But other than that, no, I didn't see I didn't I didn't see his fight at that 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 time. And so what did you, you know, stylistically, what did you think of Borges when you were, you were watching him? You know, you had prepared for him. You had watched film on him before. What did you think of him when you saw him actually in that, you know, UFC-branded cage? Uh, he's great, man. Um, you know, uh, when we were scheduled to, to fight in uh, Contender, like, I didn't really see none of his videos, you know. Um, the only thing I see was... Uh, you know, uh, throwing wild punches and stuff like that. And to uh, when I watch him in Contender Series, he got he got better, a lot better. You know, he's a strong striker. He got a fast jab, one two. You know, that's that's about it. Like nothing too fancy. Absolutely. Now I'm going to talk to you about how you see this fight going in just a second. But I also obviously have to point out the big fact here is that you are not just about to make your second fight in the UFC. You're not just about to take your first fight where you've gotten an actual training camp, but you are doing so in front of a massive crowd. And of course you got the Jacksonville crowd in the first time, but you're fighting at the the apex of where, well, not the apex. It's the apex of fighting, the highest point of fighting. The place we all think of is like the headquarters for fighting, Madison Square Garden. So when they told you that your second fight was going to be in front of Madison Square Garden, New York City. What what was sort of your thought on that? Uh, a funny story, but I, I, I wanted to fight uh, early, early than November. So uh, when my manager told me, uh, you're fighting in November in Madison Square Garden, I was like, no, let me fight sooner. You know, like, I, like to be honest, like, I love fighting, but I don't pay attention, like, too much on, like, okay, I'm fighting here, I'm fighting there, you know what I'm saying? But uh, I don't know how I'm going to feel after the fight, like knowing I'm fighting Madison Square Garden, but as of right now, like I just focus on uh, the fight. So like nothing really is too big or too small for me. Like I, 
the main goal is to win the fight, you know? I love that mentality. So, of course, I always like to end these things with a prediction. So, give me how you see this one going down on November 11th. How's this one end? Man, uh, there's me. I feel like uh, it's going to be a short a short fight. Um, if if it goes uh, the way I think it will, it's going to be a first-round KO. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Ben Joshua Van, who fights Kevin Borges at UFC 295 in Madison Square Garden on November 11th. Joshua, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you for having me, brother. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA podcast. We want to thank the fans for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, X Marshall and Game Up Hard Hydration. And remind you guys that you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. And until next week, I'm Danny Gumby Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we'll catch you then.